It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday 7. On today's edition of the award-winning Sunday 7, we investigate the takedown of the Lockbit ransomware gang, get some good rice advice from Apple, celebrate 200 years of dinosaurs, and find out how toads cross the roads. But first, on this day, 100 years ago in 1924, US Navy officials and the media witnessed the first official controlled helicopter flight. The helicopter was designed by Henry Berliner, and it flew 15 feet off the ground for 95 seconds. It's the oldest intact helicopter in the world, and you can still see it to this day at the College Park Aviation Museum in Maryland. There was big news this week from law enforcement as they cracked a criminal gang who had been the world's most prolific ransomware attackers, causing billions of pounds worth of damage and loss to companies and individuals around the world. The group were known as Lockbit and it took 10 countries' combined law enforcement efforts to bring them down. It came in the same week that Bloomberg reported a massive and previously unknown cyber attack on the US Department of Health and Human Services back in 2020. That department is responsible for an incredible amount of critical data on Americans, and it appears that the attack was a serious attempt to disrupt the US government on a massive scale. Jordan Robertson of Bloomberg News explains exactly what went on. This is the Department of Health and Human Services, and on March 16, 2020, they were going to full remote work. Network operators had to adjust all their firewall and security settings to allow hundreds of thousands of new unknown connections into their network. So they had to scale down their security all at the same time. And what they landed on was this was a scanning operation. This was an attempt, a successful attempt, to map the entirety of the Health and Human Services network in very, very quick fashion. Jose Arrieta was the CIO of the Department of Health and Human Services when the attack took place. And he says it could have been catastrophic, but it turned out to be even more sinister. I believe that the only two countries in the world that could probably launch something at that scale with that level of planning and coordination are Russia or China. This was like a nuclear weapon in the sense that a distributed denial of service attack at the scale that we appeared to be experiencing would have ended our ability to function and operate. But I don't think that was the purpose. I think it was a head fake so that another action could be taken. The Lockbit Group clearly weren't responsible for that attack, but they have been operating since 2019 and even ran a franchise operation where affiliates can use their software in return for a cut off the ransom. The way their attacks typically worked was to seize and encrypt companies or users' data and then demand a ransom in cryptocurrency. Authorities managed to hack the Lockbit network, which enabled them to take down 34 servers scattered across the world and take control of the gang's infrastructure. Two arrests were made, one in Poland and one in Ukraine and over 200 crypto accounts were seized. FBI Deputy Director Paula Bates says it's a significant victory for law enforcement. Today's announcement marks an extraordinary win for the FBI and our law enforcement partners around the globe. In addition to disrupting the Lockbit ransomware group at every level, we are also providing assistance and support 
to victims of the largest and most deployed ransomware variant around the world. It is difficult to say exactly how many victims of LockBit there are, but we estimate in 2023 alone, there were 1,000 victims just in the United States. The FBI is currently reaching out to each of the victims we know about to share possible decryption capabilities. You also had a Liam Neeson-esque warning for other bad actors out there. The bottom line is this. If you are a victim of ransomware, the FBI is on your side and is working to help you. For those criminal elements who attempt to exploit online services and damage companies and harm innocent people who are just trying to conduct business and live their lives, we will continue to work relentlessly with our partners around the world to find you, shut you down, and bring you to justice. It's been a strange week in the world of tech. We've had some interesting rice advice from Apple. ChatGPT seems to have gone a bit mad. And OpenAI introduced genuinely scarily good text-to-video AI that may change social media and our faith in our eyes forever. Someone all around us seems confusing. There's only one man we can trust to talk us through it. He is the Smart 7's tech guru, Will Guyot. So, Will, how are OpenAI managing to create such incredible video content? If you saw the AI-generated videos of Will Smith eating spaghetti from a year or so ago, you'll know that was lasting nightmare fuel. So it's incredible to see just how quickly AI video has progressed. Sora uses what's known as a diffusion model. Essentially, each frame of the video starts like the fuzzy TV screen of old, and it transforms the image to resemble whatever you've written in the prompt. One of the biggest issues of AI video to date has been something called temporal consistency, and you'll have seen many videos which differ from frame to frame. Sora now thinks about several frames of video at once and keeps objects consistent so they now look the same, not just a rough interpretation of the same. I know this is geeky, but it's a huge step forward. Does Sora mean we can never believe anything we see on the internet ever again? Releasing a new text-to-video model in the year of over 50 major elections worldwide, including here in the UK and in the US, is a bold move, and there are obvious concerns about this being used to spread misinformation. But OpenAI says it's currently working with privacy experts, video geniuses, and all kinds of other online safety experts to ensure that their concerns are met before Sora is openly released to the public. What are the practical applications? As a result of Sora breaking cover, a TV creative told a governmental committee this week that similar large language models could be writing and filming TV soap operas within the next five years. But at this stage, you're likely to see a lot of motivational Sora videos turning up on your social media feeds, while creatives use it behind the scenes to prototype and plan their visual concepts. Speaking of OpenAI, ChatGPT seems to have had a bit of a meltdown this week. What happened? Just when you think you can trust a chatbot, something strange happens. And for a few hours this week, ChatGPT went into full 12 pints of lager mode, answering questions with long, nonsensical answers, responding in its own mashup of Spanish and English, and then suggesting it was in the room with users. On Reddit, one user asked it questions about the best jazz vinyl records to listen to, and ChatGPT replied with the phrase, happy listening, 18 times. OpenAI told users we're investigating reports of unexpected responses from ChatGPT before shortly following up that update with the issue has been identified and we're continuing to monitor the situation. 
And while it's clear that OpenAI won't reveal the secret source behind ChatGPT, users have suggested that this essential drunken uncle mode was similar to what happens when you set the temperature setting in the chatbot too high. In this instant, temperature controls the creativity or focus of the text within ChatGPT, and it's clear at this occasion it was trying to be as avant-garde as a William Shatner spoken word album. And finally, bad news for those of us who have suffered, let's call them liquid mishaps with our iPhones. What's the latest Apple advice on rice? Well, who would have thought it? We've been putting tech into bags of rice since the 1940s when it was first used to dry out soaked cameras. But Apple have finally come out and said shoving your phone in a bag of basmati is likely to do more harm than good. Apparently the dust and particles of the rice grain are finding themselves into the charger socket and into the tiny speaker holes at the bottom of the iPhone and are contributing to all kinds of errors and malfunctions in the name of drying out your device. Apple have said that you also shouldn't waft your smartphone under a hairdryer either, as the extreme heat can also cause issues. The company now says, if you get your waterproof iPhone damp, you should now just gently tap the charger end of the phone against your hand, that should be enough, and then you need to be patient. It says leave it in a room with airflow for 30 minutes and it should be good to go. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we're celebrating a dinosaur birthday and how less ice means hungrier polar bears. The earliest known dinosaurs appeared on Earth somewhere between 200 and 250 million years ago in what's known as the Triassic period. That's based on fossils and dinosaurs had a pretty good run on the planet too as they only died about 66 million years ago. But this week marks the 200th anniversary of mankind's discovery of dinosaurs as Dr Emma Nichols from Oxford University Museum of Natural History explained to Sky News this week. So today, on the 20th of February, uh, 200 years ago in 1824, the first reader of geology at uh, Oxford University took some uh, fossils to the Geological Society of London to present this brand new, huge reptile from this prehistoric world. Uh, He called it Great Lizard, uh, Megalosaurus, and uh, this was the first time that any dinosaur anywhere in the world had been scientifically described and named. Around the world, I think uh, the understanding was different. There wasn't the context that we have today, there wasn't the framework. People weren't working in the same framework that we have today. So today we've got a huge number of paleontologists working on, on dinosaur science. Uh, but back then, di- the word dinosaur didn't exist. And so people were working within the confines of what they knew and understood. So although around the world things were being uh, interpreted, fossils were being interpreted in different ways, actually the Megalosaurus fossils described by Buckland, he recognised that they were this huge animal Um, that they were related to modern reptiles, but they were like nothing that we have alive today. The world continues to heat up as 2023 saw more climate temperature records broken and new research warns that the ocean's currents are dangerously close to tipping point where the excess of warm water could trigger dramatic global change. The excess water in part comes from the accelerated melting of the polar ice caps and that has effects across the Arctic and Antarctic ecosystems. One species that is suffering as there is less and less ice is the polar bear with the animals having to spend more time on land which means less chance to fish for food. A new study in the journal Nature Communications highlights the issue as Anthony Pagano, a research wildlife biologist with the U.S. Geological Survey, explains. We ended up monitoring 20 polar bears on land in Wapusk National Park. We used GPS-enabled video camera collars on each bear 
We simultaneously measure their energy expenditure and measure their changes in, in body weight. A big part of the, the basis for this study was one to evaluate you know, what effect land-based foods might have for polar bears, whether it can increase the period that they can survive on land, but secondarily to gather the actual empirical data to better predict how long they can survive uh, on land given forecasted climate warming in different regions of the Arctic. Still to come on the Sunday 7, the first sign of a breakthrough for ME patients. And how does a toad cross the road? Right after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back. New research this week looks to throw new light on an under-researched area, that of chronic fatigue syndrome, myalgic encephalomyelitis, or ME for short. ME was at one point known as yuppie flu, and those suffering from ME have struggled to get doctors to take them seriously. The new study, which is based on a small group, shows what scientists are calling compelling evidence of abnormalities in the brain and immune systems of patients. The study looked at 17 patients, all of whom have had an infection before they became ill with ME. MRI scans reveal that people with ME had lower brain activity in a region called the temporal parietal junction which could affect the way the brain decides how to exert effort. Blood tests also reveal that patients had higher T-cell counts which suggests that their immune system is also involved. The findings will be a relief to sufferers and offer hope that there may well be further medical insight to come. This week Sean O'Neill, a reporter for The Times, spoke to Channel 4 News and explained how he lost his daughter to ME at just 27 years of age and what a struggle it was to get the disease taken seriously. Right at the end of her life, we had to fight for palliative care for Maeve because there were people involved in the kind of bureaucracy that grew up around her, that uh, people who didn't believe that ME was a real illness, that they thought it was a fabricated illness or a mental health problem. That persists uh, since I started writing about ME and writing about me, the number of people who have contacted me to say exactly the same thing happens to them. They get referred to social services, they're safeguarding investigations, their th- people are threatened with having their children taken away from them. They didn't believe she was, she had a physical illness, they believed it was a mental health problem. The UK government is determined to see a reduction in smoking with legalisation due to go before the Commons that will see the smoking age rise yearly until it is effectively banned. And with new bans on disposable and flavoured vapes, it definitely seems like nicotine and tobacco are headed for the museum. But don't be so sure. Sweden has one of the lowest rates of smoking in Europe, with only 5.6% of Swedes puffing away on cigarettes. But it doesn't mean they're giving up tobacco entirely. That's down to something called snus. They're little packets of tobacco that you place under your lip to get a nicotine hit. Now they've gone viral on TikTok and there's concern that there could be a whole new generation of nicotine addicts on the way. Lars Rutkvist explains the thinking behind the Swedish snoo experiment. Harm reduction 
within the tobacco area is important. It's about saving lives. It's about preventing people from dying from cancer. It's an accepted uh, concept in many other areas. Safety belts, for instance, is an example of a very successful harm reduction measure. The same way as snooze is an important method to decrease the number of uh, smoking-related deaths in the population. In Sweden, the rates of smoking-related disease are record low, and that is uh, in part because of the availability of snooze as an alternative to cigarettes. And I think if decision-makers and the general public became aware of the risk differential between snooze and cigarette smoking, that would facilitate the introduction of more pragmatic, effective methods to prevent people from dying from smoking-related disease. Ulrika Arhed Kagström is the Secretary-General of the Swedish Cancer Society, and she's worried that Sweden is just swapping one harm for another. Of course, I'm mostly worried about that we're now seeing a whole new generation of nicotine addicts. I thought it looked good and I wanted to try. I just kept going, then going, going. It's hard to stop. I'm kind of stuck. They bought into the tobacco industry story about snooze as a smoke cessation product. Sweden was one of the first countries to introduce smoke-free workplaces and introduced age limits on buying cigarettes and tobacco products. And these are measures that have been proven effective in reducing smoking in Sweden. It's a question as old as time. How did the toad cross the road? Well, maybe not really, but in the West Country, they take their toads very seriously, particularly during the four-week period where the toads migrate to their breeding grounds. Each night, volunteers from the Fish Pond Toad Patrol head out to find the amphibious creatures and help them get to their romantic destination in one piece. John Alcock is one of the volunteers and he explains why their help is so important. Here we have a major migration going on on our doorstep and yet the toads are under threat from cars and from cyclists and we can save them and help them keep breeding and help keep the population going. They make this funny squeaking noise uh, when you put them in your bucket. We always get such a positive reaction. You know, in a moment later they'll be a few yards up the track and say, here, I found a toad for you. You know, so I think people care once they realise what you're doing. The group reckon that with their nightly patrols they are able to deliver almost 1,000 toads safely to their breeding grounds as the species is under threat with their habitat reducing by house building. Volunteer Helen Kinsella says she's grown quite fond of the little amphibians. You don't get to see toads every day so it's great to just meet them, pick them up. They're not as slimy as you expect. They're usually quite wet. You kind of feel their bones underneath. Yeah, no, I think think they're lovely. I I find them quite nice to hold. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.